Warning, the following episode of The Bone Garden contains graphic descriptions and mature language. This episode may not be suitable for everybody. Listener discretion is advised. Hello there, freaky friends. I'm Kate, and you are listening to episode number three of the Bone Garden Podcast. If you've listened to us before, hi, welcome back. I hope you're doing well. If you're new here, hello. I am a Massachusetts native, a lifelong true crime and paranormal enthusiast, and I'm on an adventure to learn about all sorts of creepy, freaky stuff. So if that sounds good to you, you're more than welcome to tag along. If not, I guess I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> I, oh man, this week's been interesting. We'll, we'll get into it in a second. Um, so <laughs> as far as my week being interesting, just really quick housekeeping. I'm recording this on Sunday and I usually have my episodes out by Saturday. Uh, the reason for that, and I do have a reason, <laughs> is I just started a new job last week and everything's great. Everybody is wonderful. Um, But I woke up Friday morning and I was like, holy shit, it's Friday and I still haven't recorded yet. So here I am. (laughs) I'm a day late, but I hope you guys understand. I really, really hope that this episode is worth the wait, but I will stick to that schedule. So you will still be getting episode number four on Saturday. So if that sounds good, if that's okay, I'm really sorry. Uh, It just, it totally got away from me. But with all of that said, with my profuse apologizing, we are going to be covering this week. Wow, I say it like that. It's been a week. I'm telling you guys. (laughs) You know what? I'm not even going to edit that out. So whatever. (laughs) We are going to be covering the Sloss Furnaces in Birmingham, Alabama. And thank you, Air Freshener. We are going to jump right into it. The Sloss Furnaces was an iron-producing blast furnace facility in Birmingham, and they were operational from 1882 to 1971, but they do stand as a National Historic Landmark. You can go there and visit. They have guided tours. They have free, free self-guided tours. It's not sponsored by them. I just, I love free shit. So if you live in the area, go check them out. It is amazing. The pictures, like, are so chilling. But anyway, there are so many facets to Sloss. Things from it actually being built to uh, the migration of people from the South. As we'll cover, Birmingham became a melting pot for all sorts of different backgrounds and ethnicities. There were also abusive supervisors, tragic accidents because labor laws were not a thing for a long time. And there was even a night watchman that was attacked by a half-man, half-demon. And it is absolutely bonkers. So we're going to dive on in. So turn on your nightlight and strap in, because here we go. (music) 
So in order to really understand this lost furnaces, first you kind of have to understand what Birmingham, Alabama actually meant to people. It's kind of like getting to know the chicken before you get to know the egg, right? So right after the Civil War, land developers discovered these veins of iron ore that stretched through the Jones Valley and toward the Red Mountain. And this area was really rich in coal, clay, limestone, and iron. During that time, railroad construction was vital for things like trade and transportation. So developers settled down, and on June 1st of 1871, they established what we now know as Birmingham, Alabama. Now that we understand the place, we kind of have to understand the person. Enter Colonel James Withers Sloss. Sloss was born April 7th, 1820 in Mooresville, Alabama, and he initially earned a fortune from building railroads in the South. Sloss ended up working with the L&N Railroad Company to take advantage of the newly established Birmingham and its resources. In 1880, Sloss founded the Sloss Furnace Company and went to work building a pig iron empire. Using land that was donated by the Ellerton Land Company, construction on the Sloss Furnaces began in June of 1881. The Sloss Furnaces consisted of two engines that blew hot air for furnaces, as well as 10 boilers. Each boiler was 30 feet long and nearly 4 feet wide. So Sloss would go on to be commended for his relentless hard work and dedication. In November of 1881, he was even recommended by citizens and the press as being a candidate for governor. The press were quoted as saying, quote, His excellent business qualifications, brilliant intellect, splendid character, and fine executive ability, all combined, make him the grandest man in Alabama today for our chief executive. He is the very personification of Christian manhood and integrity, possessing the qualifications of head and heart which we should all emulate. So just in case it wasn't obvious, Sloss was adored by his community and he stood out in the industry. However, workplace practices were a little bit less than ideal. Less than one year later, on April 18th of 1882, the Sloss Furnaces began production. The furnaces produced and sold almost 50,000 pounds of pig iron in its first year alone. So Sloss definitely had something going for him. After building his empire, Sloss went on to retire in 1886, having sold his company to a pair of businessmen, John W. Johnston and Forney Johnson. The Sloss Furnaces was reorganized and renamed in 1899 to the Sloss Sheffield Steel and Iron Company, even though it only ever really produced iron. By the beginning of World War I in 1914, the Sloss Sheffield Steel and Iron Company was one of the largest pig iron producing plants in the world. For the sake of the episode, I'm just going to keep calling it the Sloss Furnaces. Now, the Sloss Furnaces continued to improve with time, with upgrades being made to keep equipment and machinery modern. We're going to jump back a little bit here, because by 1890, 28 furnaces were operating in Birmingham, and the population of Birmingham continued to skyrocket as people flocked to the city. And Birmingham was actually nicknamed the Magic City because it was just this absolute jackpot of incredibly valuable resources. So Birmingham, like I said, became a melting pot for all sorts of ethnicities and backgrounds, with African-American people making up nearly half of Birmingham's population. Immigrants from Germany, Italy, Russia, and other countries also sought out life in Birmingham. Working in the furnace industry in Birmingham offered better financial situations for otherwise low-income farmhands and laborers. People came to Birmingham to build a better future for themselves and their families. An estimated 70% of all industrial workers were African-American for years, with racism resulting in unfair opportunities and wages for minorities. 
By the 1940s, nearly half of the workforce in the United States was employed in the iron and steel industry in order to meet the enormous demands during World War II. The majority of workers were African-American, and later the furnaces were mostly operated by current or former convicts. Now, I know we kind of time-hopped a little bit, but that was more or less to get the actual history of uh, the furnaces out. So now we're going to kind of jump back. We're going to go over the life of the workers at Sloss Furnaces. Now, like I mentioned a little bit in the introduction, there weren't really many labor laws or unions protecting workers, and more often than not, people would work a 12-hour workday, and Sloss was no exception to that kind of business practice. The Sloss Furnaces also took advantage of the convict lease program, like I just said, where they would hire prisoners to work at the furnaces for very low wages. For some convicts, working in the furnaces was a nice change of pace, but for others, they might have wished that they stayed behind bars. Workplace roles and responsibilities were heavily influenced by racism and segregation, with most of the grunt work being done by convicts and minorities, while managerial and supervisory roles were usually held by white men. Now, as far as the workers went, their conditions were horrible. Temperatures in the facility could hit upwards of 150 degrees Fahrenheit or 66 degrees Celsius in the summertime. The Sloss facility also had housing units for workers to rest between shifts, which is a wonderful gesture, but most workers were on call, meaning that they could be asked to come back into work in the scorching heat in the middle of the night. The hours were long and the pay was awful, but working among the advanced machinery at Sloss was greatly desired by the hundreds of workers that were employed there. In any form of industrial work, accidents do happen, and we're going to cover some of those here. More often than not, if you got injured at Sloss, it was in one of three ways. The first one being carbon monoxide poisoning. For those of you that don't know, carbon monoxide is an odorless gas that's formed by the burning of wood, coal, and propane. It's often called the silent killer because you can't smell it at all. Nowadays, most smoke detectors will have a carbon monoxide detector built into it, but back in the day, they didn't exactly have that. Symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning can include things like headaches, dizziness or loss of coordination, confusion, chest pain, and fainting, and carbon monoxide poisoning can actually become deadly in a matter of minutes. So if you don't have a smoke detector, fucking get one because even if you're inhaling it for just a couple minutes, it's not good. So please be careful, okay? Now, the second way that a lot of people were injured at Sloss was through steam burns. Steam burns are a type of scalding burn, kind of similar to dumping boiling hot water on yourself. However, steam burns are worse than burns from boiling water because steam instantly burns whatever it comes into contact with. Things like your skin, your eyes, and even if you inhaled steam, it would burn your windpipe. If steam's inhaled and somebody's windpipe is burned, they experience anything from coughing to choking, gasping for air, shortness of breath, or just difficulty eating and drinking. So needless to say, if you inhale steam, it's not going to be a good time. Now, the third way that a lot of people got injured is the biggest one, which was slips and trips and falling off of the catwalks. Catwalks are narrow bridges that would connect the furnaces far up in the air with other catwalks kind of spiraling up around them in order to allow for inspection and maintenance. While the catwalks had railings on them for safety, one wrong step could send somebody falling to meet their fate in the molten iron below. And yes, we will get into how falling into molten iron actually kills you, but 
First, we're going to cover one of the most famous deaths at Sloss, and that was the fate of a man that was on his lunch break one day. He was sitting in front of a wheel that was used to power one of the boilers, and as he was eating lunch, his clothing got snagged on part of the wheel, and he was slowly crushed to death and ripped to pieces. The first of many victims that unfortunately passed away in the Sloss furnaces were two African-American workers by the names of Alec King and Bob May, and their fate was sealed in November of 1882. So Alec and Bob were given the task of cleaning out a buildup of coal from inside of one of the furnaces, and instead of turning off the furnace, which would slow down production, the two men were lowered down into the furnace on a platform that was only supported by ropes, and the two of them quickly went to work using hammers and chisels to try to get that buildup of coal out of the inside of the furnace. Meanwhile, there was an ocean of molten iron bubbling beneath them. The heat and the gases from the furnace started affecting the two of them, and Alec actually grew dizzy and began stumbling and struggling on the platform. Well, Bob, being an awesome human being, reached out to try to help Alec to gain his footing, but with all the commotion, that platform began swinging and shaking, and Alec King and Bob May fell into the furnace. Now, I do want to give a really quick warning. Because I like to keep this podcast kind of educational, we will be talking about what actually happens if you fall into molten iron. So it's going to get gnarly. If you don't want to hear it, skip ahead a couple minutes, but it's going to get gross. So what would happen if you theoretically fell into molten iron? Well, first of all, the melting point of iron is 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,538 degrees Celsius. Molten metal is too dense for you to sink into it like water, so you would land flat on the surface. Your clothing would instantly melt due to the intense heat and your hair would disintegrate. And due to the lack of oxygen, you wouldn't be able to breathe. You'd have this overwhelming feeling of suffocation. Burns from the hot gases and molten metal would begin to penetrate your body and sear your very bones. All of your skin and your nerve endings would absolutely fry. And because your brain is mostly made up of water, that water would evaporate inside of your skull, and that intense pressure would force your eyeballs out of your head. Your brain is then effectively poached by the steam, and then you're dead. On the bright side, all of that happens very, very quickly, and the pain only lasts for a couple seconds. If working at the furnaces weren't bad enough, things were only going to get worse. Enter James Slag Wormwood. James Wormwood, who was often called Slag, was a foreman that was hired in the early 1900s in order to supervise the graveyard shift at Sloss. The graveyard shift consisted of a crew of about 150 people who would continue feeding the furnaces and producing iron in the dead of night. By all accounts, Slag was a horrible, cruel man. Driven by the pressure to impress his superiors, Slag would often force his workers to rush through tasks in order to amp up production. During Slag's reign, 47 men died under his supervision and dozens more were injured. In October of 1906, Slag was standing at the top of the highest blast furnace at Sloss, which was nicknamed Big Alice. Slag was doing an inspection which he never really seemed to do before. And then suddenly, Slag plummeted several stories down to meet a molten death. But death was not the end of James Slag Wormwood. 
So when news broke of Slag's death, many people speculated that his subordinates were just pushed to the absolute breaking point and killed him as a sort of payback for how horribly he treated them. However, those claims were never substantiated, and to this day, the death of James Wormwood is still deemed a tragic accident. People believe that Slag haunts the grounds of Sloss, still watching over and brutalizing anybody that dares to step into his facility. Today, visitors have reported seeing the ghastly apparition of a disfigured man, as well as being pushed, punched, and scratched. After Slag's death, a lot of workers reported feeling a sense of unease and a feeling of being watched when nobody else was around. Some of the plant's night watchmen even reported being shoved and having a disembodied voice tell them to get back to work. Over time, plant managers at Sloss decided to dissolve the graveyard shift, as most people that worked that shift were so terrified to go into work that nothing was really getting done. Later on, in 1947, a handful of supervisors completely vanished from their posts, only to be found locked in a boiler room on the other side of the plant. None of them could recall how they got there, but they all mentioned seeing a disfigured man that told them to, quote, push some steel before they all fell unconscious. On December 31st of 1970, United States President Richard Nixon signed the Clean Air Act. The Clean Air Act was put into place to regulate the emissions from vehicles and businesses, including factories and blast furnaces. So, most of the blast furnaces back in the day were just effectively shut down. In 1971, the Sloss furnaces met that same fate, and they ceased operation. The night before Sloss was due to shut down, a former night watchman named Samuel Blumenthal visited Sloss one last time. Samuel had enjoyed his work and took the time to walk around the grounds and reminisce. All was well, at first. Samuel was standing at the bottom of a set of stairs when, suddenly, Sam was face to face with a grotesquely disfigured man with burns all over his body. Samuel described this figure as, quote, half man, half demon. The figure shoved Samuel, attempting to drag him up the steps. Maybe the figure was trying to force him to get back to work, or maybe, just maybe, the figure was trying to drag Samuel into his own fiery death. Samuel fought back and struggled, and the figure became enraged. It jumped onto Samuel and began punching him with its fists. Finally, after what seemed like forever, the assault stopped. Samuel Blumenthal rushed to the hospital and was treated by a Dr. Jack Barlow. Barlow noticed that Samuel was covered in severe burns where the figure had attacked him. Samuel Blumenthal succumbed to his injuries and passed away. His death is still a mystery. In September of 1891, the Sloss Furnaces was dubbed a National Historic Landmark. Two years later, in 1983, Sloss opened to the public to serve as a historical museum. Currently, the Sloss Furnaces are the only 20th century blast furnace museum in the United States. These days, on top of being a museum, Sloss is a venue for an array of events, including a haunted house and a venue for things like weddings and business meetings. Locals believe that there are countless spirits that walk the grounds of Sloss Furnaces, one of them being James Slagwormwood. But there is one other ghost that is very well known, and his name is Theophilus Calvin Jowers. In 1873, Jowers found employment at the DeBartolin Coal and Iron Company in order to support his wife Sarah and their five children. He was later promoted to being a supervisor. Jowers ended up falling in love with the iron industry, and at one point told his wife Sarah, quote, 
As long as there is a furnace standing in this county, I will be there. The main furnace that Jowers looked after was called Alice Number 1. On top of his normal supervisory roles, Jowers would also work to convert logs into charcoal to act as fuel for the furnaces. By all accounts, everybody adored Jowers. They said that he was a very kind man, he was very fair, and he was just an all-around amazing guy. But the industry has no mercy. On September 10th, 1887, Jowers was working with a team to replace a bell at the top of Alice Number 1. The plan was for the new bell to be hung, and the old one was supposed to be lowered into the furnace with the rope to be melted down. Things were going well initially, but as Jowers lowered the gigantic, heavy bell into the furnace, Jowers tripped, losing his grip on the rope, and the bell plummeted into the furnace, with Jowers following shortly after. Theopolis Calvin Jowers fell straight down on top of the bell, dying instantly. Workers were horrified, and they used a pipe to reach into the furnace, trying to retrieve what little remains they could. According to legend, one of the only remains that they could retrieve was Jowers' heart. Now, workers didn't leave Jowers' wife fending for herself, though. As a mother of five kids, she was horrified, trying to figure out how she would take care of her family now that she was a widow. But Jowers' former subordinates rallied around her, and they would help her to financially support herself and her children. One of the most notable things was that Sarah apparently was a really good cook, so she would make sandwiches and different meals. Most of the workers at the furnace that Jowers worked at would actually buy the food from Sarah in order to give her some money to provide for her family. In 1905, Alice Number 1 was dismantled, leaving the smaller Alice Number 2 standing. Workers at the facility would report feeling cold spots on the top of the furnace, as well as a feeling of being watched. Footsteps would be heard pacing as if somebody were walking around to make sure that everything was okay. Workers also reported seeing the apparition of a figure, sometimes walking around the facility, and other times standing in the flames in the belly of the furnace. Eventually, the furnace is shut down, leaving Sloss Furnaces as the next closest furnace, and, keeping true to his word, as long as there is a furnace standing in this county, I will be there. Jower's spirits seemed to migrate to Sloss. The Sloss Furnaces quickly became a hotspot for paranormal investigation. Sloss drew in countless teams, including the team from Fox's Scariest Places in 2000. Later on, in 2002, a different paranormal team visited Sloss. They were skeptical of what they would find, and they believed that Sloss was just a myth brewed up by locals. However, the team fled, and they were terrified by their findings. Later, the Alabama Foundation for Paranormal Research also visited Sloss, saying, quote, There is no doubt that Sloss is a hotspot for paranormal activity. We pulled data that confirms that energies are present that cannot be explained. Sloss is one of the most paranormally active places that our team has ever visited. Another notable paranormal research team, TAPS, who does the TV show Ghost Hunters on Sci-Fi, also visited Sloss in Season 6, Episode 23. The furnaces are also open in the Halloween season, so if you'd like to go at some point, they do offer a fascinating haunted house experience. The Sloss Furnaces in Birmingham, Alabama were a cornerstone for the pig iron industry in its heyday, luring people in with the promise of financial security and a realm of possibilities. But the grounds are tainted with blood, and the souls of permanent workers wander aimlessly through the plant while the vengeful, malicious spirit of slag wormwood watches over them. 
even in death, Slag makes it clear to anybody that enters the Sloss Furnaces that he is in charge, and he will do anything to prove his point. Whether you believe in the paranormal or not, one thing is for certain. Birmingham, Alabama is full of rich, fascinating history. A history that we have merely scratched the surface of. For now. Well, I think that just about sums up the Sloss Furnaces in Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you all so much for listening. I apologize again for the delay. I will be sticking to that Saturday upload schedule. So just because this has come out on Sunday, that doesn't mean that you're going to wait until next Sunday. I'm still going to crank out that episode for Saturday. And a little hint for you about next week's episode. It's going to be another serial killer. I haven't decided quite yet who I'm going to be covering, but I know it's going to be wild. So hopefully you'll join me for the next episode as well. If you have a recommendation for a future topic, please feel free to email me. I check my email all the time and I just love hearing from you guys. The uh, contact information for the show is in the description below along with my social media information. Feel free to like us on Facebook, follow us on the Twitters, all that good stuff. I also just wanted to mention really quickly that if you have any friends or family that does not have access to Apple Podcast, I'm currently uploading all of my podcast episodes to YouTube. I will be working on getting Spotify up and going shortly as well, so please stay tuned for that. And as always, I just wanted to give a very special thank you to my best friend in the whole wide world, Pippin, for doing the artwork for my show. I adore their work so much. They literally don't give me anything for promoting them. I just, I love my friends with all my heart. But I will be putting their contact information, like their social media links and whatnot, in the episode notes uh, as well. So please go check them out. They are on Twitter at Archer Kasai. A-R-C-H-E-R-K-A-S-A-I. Let them know that I sent you two. So then that way they can be like, oh, damn, that Kate again. But (laughs) anyway, y'all, I had so much fun with this episode. I cannot wait to get started on the next one. Make sure that you stay safe, be kind to each other, and stay the fuck away from the Sloss Furnaces. Bye, guys. Bye.